I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, I'm speaking with Marie Hattar and David Ginsberg. This is also my first podcast episode with two guests. Marie is a CMO from Exia and is responsible for their brand and global marketing efforts. Marie has more than 20 years of marketing leadership experience spanning the security, routing, switching, telecom, and mobility markets. Before joining Exia, Marie was CMO at Checkpoint Software Technologies, where she reestablished the company as the leading end-to-end security vendor. Prior to that, she was vice president at Cisco, where she led the company's enterprise networking and security portfolio. David is the VP of Marketing for Caverin. Dave has more than 25 years of experience spanning corporate and product marketing, product management, digital marketing, and marketing automation. Previous roles included CMO at Teradin, Pluribus, Extreme, and Riverstone Networks, as well as senior marketing leadership positions at Nortel and Cisco. His experience spans information security, networking, cloud deployments, and SaaS. I really enjoyed this conversation with them. They are both very technical, but can bridge the gap between the technical teams and the C-suite. In this episode, we discussed how the industry got to where it is now, the pluses and minuses of using FUD to get people's attention, how marketing teams can be security enablers with inside an organization, advice for companies coming to market in the information security space, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. And as a quick note for this interview, please bear with some of the background noise. We had to find a kind of unique and interesting open space to do some of these recordings. So please bear with me while there's a little bit of background noise here and there, but the content is still great. So Marie and Dave, thank you for being on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? We're doing great. Well, great. Now, Marie and Dave, you are married. So was it very romantic being at RSA uh, with... I mean, there's a lot of red I've noticed, and everything's very red color-based around here. Insecurity, it's either red or blue for the most part. Look at all the logos. Uh, is it very romantic? Being at RSA, it's actually tough because uh, of the conflicting schedules, lots of different customer events. So we didn't even get to spend uh, Valentine's uh, Day evening together, but you know, we did crash out at the same place, so that was kind of good. Oh, that's very good. And then at least there wasn't any uh, Valentine's Day uh, malware massacre yesterday either. So That's true. It's hopefully guys didn't click on any e-cards to each other, that kind of, <laughs> could have anything. But, you know, obviously RSA is very noisy, and you've both been in the industry and security and technology for some time, in particular around marketing. Did you see this level of volume that I think we're seeing now coming? Was it predictable? You know, every year, it's really funny, um, there's uh, a really fun little video that goes on that talks actually about the RSA conference, where, uh, you know, they sit there and tell you, you know, every year, you know, there's more attacks, more malware, you know, everybody coming around with three-letter acronym companies, and uh, and it's funny, because, yes, you know, the the growth of attacks... uh, is, has been predicted, was expected, will continue to grow at this rate because as population grows, 
so will the bad people. So, so part of that is just basic mathematics. Uh, I think what's interesting is, uh, is the incredible amount of intelligence that's going into orchestrating these different attacks and leveraging new entry points to target uh, things um, quickly and, and, uh, and very easily. So, so the, the accessibility to malware is, uh, is at unphenomenal uh, heights these days. And uh, part of that is just having access to the internet and us being so connected. Yeah, I think one, one of the things that we're, we're seeing, you, you talked about the growth of RSA, the sheer number of, of vendors here. And that's both you know, a, a blessing and you know, the, the, the counterpoint to that, where you're, you're a CISO and you've got you know, potentially 250 different ways to solve a problem. You could have you know, 10, 20, 30 vendors that you've engaged. Sometimes you're receiving conflicting analysis of, of what to do in, in a time of a breach. And one of the things that, that we're seeing is we, we need to really cut through the confusion to try to understand what types of security vendors uh, CISO needs you know, within an enterprise uh, for perimeter security, for endpoint, for, for policy management, for uh, operations, and how to make best use of them in, in a correlated way to, to solve their business problems. Yeah, we've kind of seen it move from, you know, it was, it was IT and very operational, then cyber, now we're kind of talking about it more in terms of risk. What changed in that perspective? Was it the buyers or the sellers? I think it's, uh, one, one interesting thing we're, we're seeing is that, you know, a, a decade ago, and I was commenting to uh, some of my uh, boothmates uh, yesterday, that there, were, there was more like green hair, ponytails, and, and body piercings. Now more people are just in, in suits, coats, and ties. So it, it's really the whole security industry has grown up. And at the same time, uh, you've probably heard the, the acronym DevSecOps, where operations is combining with you know the development side of the organization along with the security side of the operation. And that's probably you know breaking down silos, which is a good thing. Yeah, and so it was interesting where you you were in Cisco back in the mid two thousands, and the one thing that I always that I always thought about was was that fact they changed the ASA appliance. You know, they call it adaptive security appliance. That they actually put the word security in a you know an enterprise piece of equipment, moving it away from PICs and some of the other OSs. Was that a very deliberate move by Cisco at that point in, in your teams to, to try to bring security into more of a, a generalized discussion as part of integration into other products? It really was. Uh, at the time, uh, Cisco uh, wanted to get more into security. They were uh, the number one uh, player in security. Uh, but because their networking business so eclipses the security business, most people don't realize or didn't realize how Cisco was in security. And so that was uh, one of the, uh, the big pushes uh, to do that. And, you know, they, they spent also, in addition to changing the name, they also uh, launched uh, pretty major security campaigns uh, back then called the Self-Defending Network. And it was all about uh, bringing security to the forefront to a lot of IT and ensuring that it's built in, that it's baked in across all of the different uh, network elements. And so I guess what's next for us now? Are we, are we going to live now in a world where security is part of the enterprise um, operations discussions where we, we are just going to see more bus ads and where security is now going to be the forefront of a lot of the discussions in enterprise IT? 
Well, if you go and look at a lot of the CIO surveys that are run year after year, security has been the number one concern, care about for the last 10 years straight. Uh, I think what's happening now is we as a population, as, uh, as you know, just general people are getting much more exposed to this, whether it's the breaches of all the Yahoo emails, all our passwords, etc. We're becoming the victims. You know, our identity is who we are and is becoming the victims. So we as end users, in addition to enterprises, are starting to care a lot more about this. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's, you know, we haven't seen uh, the you know, the results of all those breaches that to happen in the last year, we haven't even begun to see how those exploits are going to happen against many of us. And, uh, and I think it's just going to continue, uh, you know, continue growing from that perspective. Uh, so we have to counter it by a lot more awareness, a lot more visibility. But yes, I, I you know, given the conditions out there, I think security is going to definitely be a hot, hot area this year. Yeah, to, to add to what Marie said, I, th- I think a, a weak link is still the, uh, the human element. And, you know, Marie mentioned, you know, additional awareness, additional training. I think CISOs are, are finally realizing that, you know, the automation, excuse me, the, uh, the technical solutions, the, the hardware, the software can only go so far without better user awareness. And then at the same time, I think there's, a, there's an increasing um, need for automating, you know, what's happening on the security side. Once again, I said that there are so many conflicting, you know, signals coming in right now. You somehow have to automate what's happening, how they're coming back in. And this is, there's a lot of talk, this particular RSA, about the, the AI side of the house. The scary thing about AI is the same tools that the enterprises are going to have, these tools are going to be available to the hackers as well. So once again, you're escalating the the level of uh, mutually assured uh, cyber destruction here. So well, certainly when we we use words, words, and obviously you guys are both both in marketing, but you know, does the industry run the risk by using the latest buzzwords? You know, a few years ago it was APT, more recently it was analytics, and now we're talking about AI and machine learning. At what point does the tail wag the dog, and are, are we driving meaningful? How do we drive meaningful conversations to kind of affect that long term change? Because the words, they do have impact. You want to bring people in, but there's a, I guess there's a, a danger in that, I would say. Uh, uh, totally. So, so words uh, are, are the marketing tool. So uh, at some point, you know, you have to reinvent. The role of marketing uh, is to keep reinventing the same thing in some way or form, uh, slightly differently to show the value of what your products bring to market. And, uh, and, and every year, to your point, there is an, I, I have, I call it uh, word bingo where, or security bingo, where for every RSA, there is a definite uh, word of the moment. And, uh, you know, I, like this week, the, the two are machine learning and AI. Every interview I've had has been, well, what, what are your thoughts about AI or machine learning? And so, um, so I think from that perspective, you know, marketers are going to be marketers. We're going to always spin up new words. We're going to find interesting ways to, to elevate the conversation. I think uh, we need to realize also, as marketers, we have a responsibility that as part of this, we need to make it really easy to understand uh, so people understand the risk too, because uh, you know, as Dave said, just because you have AI and machine machine learning doesn't mean that the bad guys don't have access to the exact same stuff. 
Um, you know, and, and kind of along some of those those thoughts too about the words that are used. I mean, in the in the keynotes yesterday, and words like chaos and cyber war are being thrown around a lot more lately. And there's an element of FUD that gets with that. And is that dangerous too? To you know, we want to let people know about the dangers and there are risks, but without making it so heavy-handed that people almost get battle fatigue from, from constantly hearing it. Well, one of the things that's happening is, you know, what is it, two, three years ago, uh, APT, Advanced Persistent Threats, were all over the place. And what's happening in the last year is some of the, I'll call it tried and true, uh, hacking techniques have come back to the forefront. So it's just basic, you know, people having insecure passwords, people um, you know, leaving things laying around. It goes back to the, uh, the user training and, and user awareness where it's not the, the cyber warfare that I think we all have to worry about, it's the threats that are uh, closer to home that eventually bite the company. But I, but I, but I do think you know, in terms of the cyber warfare, it's just getting smarter in terms of how, how people do it. Social engineering is getting more intelligent. Uh, the, you know, it's not your very basic email phishing attacks. They're leveraging different sources of information to, to better penetrate you as a person to open up a window. Uh, I think uh, the types of attacks that are happening are also smarter. I mean, I think you probably saw, I think it was December where um, you know, this group had uh, managed to hack into a lawyer uh, office and this firm was very much an M&A type firm so they were involved with closing a lot of the deals well they didn't steal anything from the law firm what they listened into is all the M&A transactions and then proceeded to trade on Wall Street to make a lot of money so really having insider trading to to allow them to get rich so I think we're gonna see more sophisticated crimes beyond just cyber warfare uh, the other thing of it insecurity it's always a carrot and a stick you know like it's just how humans operate you know do you reward or do you scare and if you know it's just unfortunately since you are dealing with humans um, you know with us the people and we're we have to balance that whole carrot and stick thing and uh, and FUD is one element of it you know the, the that has always been uh, a big push for security. It's, it's interesting because as a marketer, I don't want to use fear. I don't want to use darkness. But the only place that seems to be effective is in security. And you know, I guess with the conversation of cyber being so important in kind of the general popular, you know, with everybody these days, um, what should people, tech and non-tech, be listening to to kind of separate the signal to noise? Or what are some of the things that they should be focusing on listening to to really kind of educate themselves? I would say the first one is, you know, is the most basic thing, and it comes down to passwords. Doesn't matter what devices you have, you know, your Samsung TV if it's internet connected, your dishwasher, your fridge, your toaster, your lights. Make sure you change from that default password because, uh, you know, in sort of our security reports, year after year, we find that uh, the easiest thing is just basically uh, trying and testing the admin default passwords and that's how you can get into some of these systems and part of it is, is you don't think you know that that device is connected when you get a, uh, a camera that is for your front door to view the people well and the convenience of you being able to now see who's at your front door from work guess what you've now opened the window for that camera to be part of a DDoS attack uh, if you haven't configured it properly I think there's, there's two other things that uh, that we've seen one is just for um 
for reasons you know unknown to me, people will have a smartphone or people will have a laptop, and they won't have the screen password protected. Which, if your your smartphone, you're basically carrying your entire you know life and identity on it now, without having that timed out after two or, or five minutes, you're you're waiting for an accident to to happen. Um, the other thing that um, we were seeing is that, and you've probably experienced yourself, the, the growth of ransomware, where you know every day, even through my corporate email system, I'll get you know open this, Best Buy that, you know American Express this, and you just have to be at the top of awareness 24 by 7 now not to just unconsciously click on the wrong attachment and then you're done for so that's a big danger well do you, do you both find that kind of challenging being in marketing that you want to market to people but then also in a weird way tell the ball you don't want to click on things or open things so it's kind of a double-edged sword well there's there's careful things that you do to market from is if you know the you know like there's the education that goes look at the address that it's coming from. Make sure it's the right company address, not some funky deviation that somebody's put in. Um, avoid clicking. You know, I, I do, uh, you know, I do advise people, like, really make sure it's a trusted source before you click to download anything. Uh, and, uh, you know, but there's things at the other end that, that folks can do to protect themselves. You know, make sure that they've not created venues where someone can implant uh, malware into their systems so that they become part of a bot army, for example. But, yeah, I mean, it, it does make marketing more challenging between, you know, sort of all the, the blocked lists, all of the, you know, the education is a double-edged sword. But in some ways, you know, it reminds me when, oh, gosh, I'm going back years now when I finished college and I was going to Europe to backpack and uh, and at the time it was you know we were being told if you're going to Italy make sure you know there's a lot of gypsies around and make sure that you know you watch your fanny pack and make sure you know you don't uh, you just don't let it out of your sight and uh, and so you know from that perspective at that time it was kind of more the physical security you know in many ways it's the same thing it's all over again it didn't diminish the number of tourists that went to Italy. I don't think it's going to diminish the marketing. We just have to make sure people know what to do. There's a, an, another thought is um, you, know, you look at the, the younger generation that are, are living on Snapchat and, and Instagram and everything else. That every morning, the, the first thing they do after they wake up is a video conference with their six closest friends. And there's, there's, there's trust there, but there's great responsibility, as the old saying goes. And so, you know, the hope, hope, hoping that this, uh, this new generation is, is growing up with not only the, the tools to socialize over the Internet at their disposal, but also an awareness of the security implications because what the parents can do is only going to go so far. But, but I think it's also, the onus is not just on the school, but it's also on the parents to educate their kids to know what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing and what they should access from their different communication tools. Yeah, my, my daughter was home sick today from school, and my, I see my wife calling me at 9 a.m., and there's my six-year-old daughter just, just picked up the phone and dialed, and so we're trying to teach her now, you know, responsible use of electronics <laughs> and it, it's a challenge because they're uh, they're very adept to learning these these new technologies without even our supervision so. well not just that they don't even want to tell us about the technologies and you know some of them like my my daughter for example has multiple Instagram accounts well you know sure she gave me access to one of them you know like but she has created two other fake ones 
that are for her and her friends that I can't see or monitor, you know. So I have to constantly be diligent to say, hey, look, you know, if you're going to do this, just make sure anything you post is there forever. You know, just think twice um, in terms of what you're doing on that. It's not, you know, even the things that tell you, oh, you know, it just disappears like a Snapchat. Well, guess what? While it's on their window, somebody could just picture, take a picture. Yeah. So kind of moving away from ex external communications to internal, I want to talk a bit about how marketing can be aligned with an organization's cybersecurity objectives. So the cybersecurity is definitely a team sport for an enterprise uh, from both the proactive and responsive roles. How can a CMO play in an organization's cybersecurity plan? Uh, so traditionally, the CMO has not had a role in this. However, uh, a lot of the tools that marketers use are IT tools now. So whether it's the marketing automation tools, whether it's the social media, so all of a sudden, the CMO is introducing risky tools into the system, so they actually have to put in the safeguards. Um, you know, there is uh, so much spoofing that happens of CEOs, CFOs on social media, and uh, the CMO has no choice but to now be involved in that cybersecurity strategy to, to be more at the, you know, a lot of times marketing has tried to stay away from IT in some ways because we're a little rogue, we want to do things differently, we think we're different, so let us just run our own stuff. But uh, the reality is uh, it's introducing risk for the company. And what I encourage my fellow CMOs is to actually get to know your uh, your IT directors, your CIOs, participate in, in being really open about what you're doing from a marketing standpoint because they can also help you in understanding what are the risks. Yeah, the other thing, you know, from the, the technical side of the, uh, the marketing officer, you have under your, uh, you know, under your um, responsibility the, the websites, um, they could be commerce sites where you're you're working with the uh, the product teams, and these are all vectors of attack, you know, into the enterprise. And so, I think as a CMO, you have to understand what types of threats are out there, and how best to construct your your digital, you know, customer-facing assets to counter them. You know, one of the things I was thinking about too, as I was prepping for this interview, is it's it's interesting. You know, we we a lot of CISOs, CIOs that come out of the tech world, tech people aren't always the best communicators. So can CMOs and marketing people be good resources and become enablers you know, across the aisle so they can talk to the rest of the C-suite? Yes, and in fact, one of the things we do at my company is that we in marketing are really partnered up very well with our IT organization because for two reasons. One, in terms of helping our IT organization communicate to the employees at Ixia better and more effectively, but two, leveraging our, our um, you know, CIOs and CISOs. Um, for us, they're more directors of security, but, but you know, they're, they're the most senior person we have in the, in the company for that. But uh, essentially, leveraging them in terms of when they go and speak to other customers at other forums to really better communicate the message, better communicate the risk, and, and showcase better what they're doing with marketing as well. The, uh, what's interesting that the whole idea of the, the CISO, which is a, a term that's come into use you know, over the last decade, I think that it's very powerful in that for the first time you're bringing together someone with the responsibility, someone with probably the awareness and the, the background, who used to call it you know, an enterprise, your uh, cyber czar or, or whatever. And it's funny, even in New York State, uh, the city of New York, they said like two weeks ago, 
that by you know six months from now, all financial institutions have to have an assigned CISO role. Why it took so long, I'm not really sure, but I think you're going to see that mindset um, you know, come into other types of verticals, other types of industries, and I think that's going to be a very, very powerful thing. So, you know, what are some things that organizations can do as part of their breach preparation um, to do with their communication and marketing departments? Are there things that can be leveraged there prior to breaches to understanding about levels of communication? I would say um, one of the, the the key things is for IT to reach out to marketing because marketings aren't going to think about this necessarily, uh, but to leverage a lot of the social media uh, platforms and interactions that marketing uses to use that to carry the message from IT in terms of uh, how how marketing uses these mediums. Uh, I think it's also important in terms of uh, just uh, knowing what are all your different communications vehicles, what are the different tools that your customers are using, that your employees are using, and uh, and customizing that. Like, I'll give you an example. It used to be everything was, uh, if you looked at many websites, a lot of them were using Flash. And they're, well, guess what? Today, when so many of us carry iPhones, it doesn't work. You know, they're not mobile ready, not mobile friendly. So some of the things... And yet, by the same token, Flash is probably the single worst uh, security risk because it's forcing you to do all kinds of downloads to update it. And so from that perspective, uh, you know, kind of educating the population about safe practices in terms of their web use, safe tools that they could use, moving more to HTML5, that type of thing across a communication vehicle and understanding that now you're potentially exposed across all those different devices. So I think that's one thing. Yeah, I, th I think another important thing, and, and, and we see this, and you probably see this as well, is that you've got your uh, corporate social channels, you know, they're you know mandated by the company, but then every you know most of your employees now have their private social channels as well, and lots of times things that have been posted on the corporate channel or you know employees' opinions, thoughts, you know desires, they show up on the employees' private social channels, and you, there has to be some kind of awareness that it. There is a wall of sorts there where you can't necessarily attest um, a corporate you know, strategy or, or set of values on, on your private channel. But by the same token, the whole point of social media is to get everybody engaged and have you know, your employees be advocates for your brand. So you, you do have to do an education on, on that front as well because you definitely want them as advocates. Their networks you know, become, by extension, your networks as well. Yeah. Kind of a similar question. What what can organizations do to recover from the reputational fallout of a breach? So when there is a breach, how can they? I mean, it's, and have there been any examples of organizations that have really done it well? So I just there's something that just came to mind um, a couple years ago. One of the uh, the major healthcare companies suffered a, a breach. You know, X million uh, patient records you know were lost or compromised. The direct cost of the breach was 4% of the total cost that included reputation, you know, loss of subscribers. The cost of the breach was $1.7 billion, and this was a study by Deloitte. And so it's, you know, it's almost you want to be in a situation where you do absolutely everything in your power up front to avoid that from happening. Because once you're into damage control, 
it's like Deepwater Horizon. Things just get deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. But by the same token, I think many companies don't prepare for being breached and don't have all their communications ready. They don't have an action plan. How are they going to respond to this? So it becomes a heavy scramble. So from a communications front, assume you are going to get breached. So now what you're going to do? And a lot of times, you know, one of the things we do at my company is uh, is we kind of do like sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, red red. Uh, Red Black Army kind of uh, tactics to sort of to see what do you do when you're in an actual cyber attack and how do you defend uh, you know yourself against that? Well, guess what? Uh, that should be extended across the whole company, not just to security professionals. In terms of how does the whole company react when we are breached? Do we actually have the right communication plan in place? What are we going to say? Are we going to, you know, like for a lot of them, they try to hide it as opposed to coming right out and acknowledging it. I think the best thing you can do is really be open and acknowledge it and then just highlight what are you doing to mitigate it? What are you, um, you know, how, how you're going to recover from it and be very honest. I mean, a lot of times, unfortunately, these breaches, once you are breached, you know, you are kind of hosed. But you also, how you react to it, Will, uh, will go a long way to how badly your brand suffers. You know what's kind of interesting? I think in California is probably one of the leading states right now in mandating that a company that's been breached, they either 48 or 72 hours, they have to do official notifications to the government and every, you know, so on and so forth. I think other states are putting that in place as well. But as in what Marie said, you know, a year ago, two, three years ago, something could have happened in like a Yahoo, and it could be years before you hear about it in public. Well, but by the same token, the other point is, is I think there should be an education that they need to prepare to have everything lined up because what typically happens, yes, they know that's the mandate and it is a last minute scramble for companies to say, oh no, what are we going to do now? Oh my God, we've been, what, you know, have we prepared the letters? Do we have this? So, so really have your full plan laid out so that you actually can pull the trigger and execute it because you have to assume you will be breached. You just have to. Yeah, and it's not. It's definitely. I think as, as many organizations are seeing now, it's just. It's not just technical, and it's mostly not technical. It's how you kind of get in front of the breach and kind of talk to both your customers and your internal employees. It has to be part of that breach preparation. Protect your brand. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, kind of step back from the breaches, but you know, uh, from the proactive side, for the rest of the C-suite, particularly CISOs. Um, what are some of the things they should be asking and looking out for as they're kind of getting nonstop pitch at places like RSA and they're kind of getting a lot of noise thrown at them of, hey, look, you know, you need to be ready for this, you need to buy these products. How do they better uh, kind of enable themselves to ask the right questions? I think what, what you need to look at is, is a structured approach. And RSA is, is one of those conferences where they can, you know, discuss with their colleagues, go to whatever, you know, educational sessions. But, I mean, if you, if you look at security, it's not just you know a big furball. You know you you look at the outer perimeter. You look at data. You you look at your servers. You look at your applications. You look at what you need to do on the policy and operational side. And so as a CISO, partition it in your mind. Understand what best-in-class tools you can use in each particular area, and then deploy them accordingly. And if you find well, I've left out application security. I've left out cloud security. I've left out endpoint security. Then you've got a, a gapping hole and you need to address it. Good advice. Now, there, there are actually um, a lot of, obviously, a lot of companies that are coming to market. So for the companies that are really trying to stand out from all the noise in this competitive space, what is some of the marketing advice you can kind of lend to 
different different products that are trying to get their uh, their foot in the door. So one of the things that you know my, my company in, in particular does is you see you know what are some of the the trending topics. And I, I mentioned a, a little bit earlier the whole idea of, of automation and the, the CISO, you know, really being driven beyond you know what they're expected to do in terms of all the conflicting signals coming at them. Um, what we're picking up on is is the need to automate and the need to be proactive and the need to understand you know where your your threats are you know within the the infrastructure and create a conversation around that and i mean it's it's not just the technology it's not just well this software package is better than that software package but what's the business driver and and what keeps the the CISO up at night and and that's what we're trying to to bring out in what we do yeah. from my perspective it's um you have to come up with a new, in some ways, to get the excitement, you have to come up with a new concept. You know, so Silence has done a really good job with their, like they were the first ones who started pushing the whole AI stuff. So that kind of brought them a lot to the forefront. Oh, mandate um, with APT, I mean. Exactly, exactly. So, so I think, you know, you have to decide what is, what is it that you want to really push in a big way. And, and and don't have five or six different concepts because they won't stick. But if you say, okay, you know, I'm going to really make it about this one key concept, put my wood behind that one key concept, um, you will differentiate yourself. Uh, you know, I, I can't advise them whether to use FUD or not because, in, as I said, I find in security FUD really works. You know, I, w I wish it, it was more just the benefits, but... FUD does seem to, to sway the opinion. And uh, I would say make sure whatever you're bringing to market actually really does work because there's just been a lot of false starts, a lot of false promises from many startups that come on board that they work in a very, you know, sort of at like a very niche scenario. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of when they falter, you know, it, it, as you're trying to deploy them, et cetera. Their premise was faulty. And so those are the guys that just don't make it. You know what would be interesting is, uh, you know, sort of like in the restaurant business, there's a very high mortality rate. Um, look at RSA over the last decade and see, you know, all the one-hit wonders out there and, and what happened to them. Well, I was kind of wondering, I mean, that was kind of a question I had is, I mean, how, how much of that is the norm versus the exception? I mean, we've seen stuff like that parody, uh, parodied in, in shows like Silicon Valley where you know, these companies go out, they have an idea. So they go get this one sales guy and go get a whale of a client. They then try to market around it and then it quickly becomes, oh yeah, on our Series B funding, we're actually going to put the money into the R&D, but you know, all the first stages is quickly just get our noise out there and let make people know we're there. But have you seen that become, again, more of the exception? Or are there a lot of companies that have kind of gone down that path, unfortunately? Well, it's funny. It, I actually saw more of that in uh, the early uh, 2000 when we were, like, it was the whole bubble of the dot-com bubble. So I haven't seen as much of that on the security front. I've seen, I saw it more on the dot-com front where it was all hype, all excitement, and they had nothing to back it up. A little less so in security. The thing about security is, I mean, it's not like, you know, a, a router with a port that, that goes bad. These people can be hauled in in front of their board. They can be fined. They can be thrown into jail. And so you have very little tolerance as an enterprise looking at vendors and potentially bringing in something that, that doesn't work. So one, one thing that we're finding, there's, there's a lot of word of mouth. There's a lot of, you know, estetization of, you know, does this product work? Does it do what it needs to do as opposed to something that's just all um, marketware? Yeah. 
So I, I've, I've actually done several startups myself at various stages of funding. And you know, I always said marketing is kind of a tough sell within the side of an organization, uh, particularly when we, you know, we talked about some of the technology companies. So if, if you had to give some advice to some of these startups too about what are some of the basics that they should be doing around marketing at early stages, what would some of that advice be? Get support from senior management. You, you need to be working with a CEO, working with the head of engineering, sales, that understands the need to ramp up marketing, but you know, within a budget, you have to spend intelligently. Don't go out and throw you know, million dollar yacht parties. And at the same time, you know, budget it in the same way that you're building up a sales organization, you're building up an engineering organization. There's a level of a marketing organization, especially if you're you know, in a B2B environment where there are certain things in, in digital marketing, marketing automation you have to put in place. I would, I would say, uh, as a marketer, first advice to any company is know your customer. So uh, depending on your customer, it really is a key decision as to whether you actually need marketing or not. Because a lot of times people just say, okay, we're gonna have marketing just because they think it's the thing to do. Well, in reality, if uh, they only have like, you know, if their target is, let's say 10 whale customers, they're better off just hiring salespeople that can knock on their doors, invite them wine and dine them and have conversations. Now, if your target is just generic enterprises or generic service providers and uh, you know then then you actually do need it particularly for b2b b2c you always need marketing i mean there's no way around it but i'm just saying for b2b companies if uh, if you're going after enterprises uh, in general then you, you you need more marketing than necessarily service providers and it used to be you know working I, I worked a long time at cisco and it used to be that enterprise marketing was significantly more than service providers because the service providers were you knew who they all were well, the reality is today there's a lot more coming to the forefront. There's a lot more, you know, vendors like say, you know, used to always know who were the networking guys. You know, it was a handful of guys who would spend any money. So, you know, you could just target those. But now there's so many startups in security, so many startups in all these different areas. The, the, the model of networking is changing with clouds. Um, so it's, uh, so I would say you need to relook whether you need the marketing team or not. But typically, um, you know, it depends on what your model is, whether you just want to get your name out there. A lot of times, one strategy is if you're, if you're, if you're creating a new category, then you do need to invest in, uh, in the market creation of that category. Um, if you're just coming in, kind of a, a better me too player, which a lot of startups are, um, then you probably, you know, it's much more on your, how, your digital footprint, you know, just sort of highlighting your differentiation. Uh, partnering more up with sales and enabling sales to, to carry your message. So it just depends on, you know, sort of what your target market is and who your target customers. You also need to be able to show the ROI. It, it's very different than a decade ago where, you know, people thought of marketing as, as arts and crafts. Now, I mean, you live and die by marketing automation platforms. You need to understand what you're doing for the campaigns, what you're doing for, say, your, your Google spend, LinkedIn, what you're doing in terms of, you know, risk, you know, benefit from your, your, your website and, and your social channels. And you're going to be called, you know, in front of the management team, okay, I've got this investment. What am I seeing from it? What am I seeing in terms of the, the top of funnel? What am I seeing in terms of, you know, followers? What am I seeing in terms of, you know, the, the brand visibility? So the marketing people are becoming much more, I want to say, scientific over the last number of years than, you know, fly by the seat of your pants in the past. Yeah, I, I, I feel, yeah, the stage where I am now with the company, it's 
it's funny looking back 15, 20 years ago where it was, you know, you could buy an ad space and publish, you know, magazine or newspaper, and then you have to say, maybe in about 20 weeks we'll know whether there's a payoff, whereas opposed to now in Google Ads, you can buy right away and you can know you can a b test something in a matter of hours well yeah i mean it was funny uh like i think this was uh a couple of years ago you know the the big uh, mantra in marketing is that we're moving from being mad men to math men so to, or women uh but it was literally that i mean it used to be that marketing was just advertising i mean that was it there wasn't anything more beyond that it was like he who creates the most clever ads wins and uh and you are seeing much more of a shift in the types of CMOs and marketers that are out there that uh, it is, um, and again, it depends on the stage of the company as well, uh, they are being asked to do much more of the ROI, you know, sort of what's their thinking in terms of how they're getting their leads, how they're measuring them. Um, I still believe as a, as, a, as a CMO, it's very challenging to show the ROI on your awareness budget on advertising. I mean, it's just it's just so challenging. I can absolutely do it on any of my lead gen programs, but anytime I'm trying to raise visibility of our brand, it's just so hard. Yeah. In, you know, when it does come down to raising visibility, obviously a lot of companies do that uh, self-assessment of whether they should do something like an RSA or a black hat. And what are some of the pluses and minuses of spending the capital in this? I mean, it can't all be good or bad one way or the other. So for us, we found RSA to be a great uh, awareness as well as a lead generation source. But we build our booth in a way to get us the maximum awareness, but everybody on the booth is focused on lead gen. Uh, so, you know, whether it's simple things like making sure we have the biggest possible bag so we can outbag everybody and make sure the Ixia name is out there. In, if you actually, you know, walk around the trade show, the you can't miss, can't miss our it. bags. No. Uh, but this is our opportunity to get our name out there very cost effectively. Uh, the, the other thing we do though is if you come by our booth it's really about getting the leads scanning the leads and we we scan them entice them with the bags but if there's any sort of seriousness then bring them into our booth for real conversations and so it's a very inviting it's a you know it's almost a science in terms of how we architect it and we approach it very much to towards being you know, let's get a lot of names so that we can market to them post the fact if someone's actually serious, we bring them further into the booth, so to speak. Um, but otherwise, let's just, you know, sort of uh, get that information and follow up with them. For Black Hat, we haven't, I don't know, we haven't been able to have that same high success. For us, we found the ROI from RSA has been good. We've been able to associate deals that have showed up later in the year. Uh, so within the year, not multi years out. Black Hat hasn't been as good. You know, even though we apply similar tactics, it just maybe it could be that the audience who goes there, um, although it's a very similar audience to RSA, for whatever reason, it doesn't end up being um, making as many deals for us. So I was joking uh, with Marie yesterday about the uh, Ixia bags all over the place. I told her size matters. Yeah, it but works. <laughs> the, uh, this is our first year. Uh, we have a, a 10 by 10, more, more modest than uh, her company. But uh, the part of the success was not only you know, the preparation to be able to give demos and the, the number of qualified leads we want, but also the number of meetings we scheduled in advance. So we almost look at this as an extended three and a half day uh, EBC we had at least 40 meetings that were pre-planned for the show floor. We had our head of engineering, my, my CEO and everything. And at this point in time, we're planning on doubling our footprint for, ne for next year. So 
we're, we're already of the opinion that the ROI is, is in place on, on RSA for us. So it sounds like you know, we were talking about in general with data points that you do find that you can get a lot of feedback too from people because as a funnel of people coming in here, you can get a lot of information that you can either do brand improvement or change your message or find out what's working in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for us, as I said, we, you know, we measure, we have all the automation systems, all the, you know, like sort of SFDC integration. So we know for every scan we have, whether it's yielding something, because we're going to market to them post the fact. Uh, but this certainly becomes a touch point where we've done a connection. Uh, you know, again, that's how I make my decisions as to which shows I'll participate in or not. Sometimes you just do it more for the awareness side. And, you know, again, those are harder to quantify. Sometimes, you know, you just want to go into an area. You don't know if there's going to be a return, but you need to check it out because that's an area your product is heading into. So that's an interesting point. We're, um, we're doing DockerCon for the first time this year because we're doing you know, some um, you know, automation in the uh, container space. And some, some people sometimes joke here that, you know, oh, you know, containers, that's, that's anti-security or whatever, because there's, there's an awareness that a lot needs to be done in, in, in that space. And at DockerCon, cheaper show for us, we'll leave there with a better understanding of whether we want to do that next year and whether it was just for awareness or we're getting some really qualified leads out of it. Interesting. Um, so, what what's some parting advice you would have for cyber startups in 2017? Silence, <laughs> the silence of the lambs. No, I, I would say that um, there. Look, look at the landscape. Understand where the, the threats are coming from. Understand where you can differentiate yourself. Just by the fact that there, there are new companies that were created last year, there's still holes that need, need to be filled. And I think there's enough bright people out there to understand you know, where the industry is going, what's in the mind of, of the sea. So I think lots of it could be based on get out there, talk with the enterprises, talk with the, the, the small, medium businesses. And, and maybe one of the areas that we're going to see additional growth, a lot of focus has been on maybe the Fortune 500. I think there's still more tools that can probably be adapted or you know, optimized for the, the, the smaller enterprises. I would say, uh, you know, towards uh, 2015 was considered a huge, huge year for security. 2016, everybody was forecasting that market is, you know, going to slow down, dwindle. But then towards the end of uh, the year, you saw a big uptick starting to happen in terms of that. I would say 2017 security will be hot again, you know, as opposed to I would say 2016, we saw a dip. So uh, I think it will be hot. I think, uh, you know, security is one of those things that it, it, it does, it is cyclical. It does do the sine wave to a certain extent, but uh, the the uh, the length of that is shrinking, you know, sort of how long. It used to be that there'd be, you know, three years of good security, three years of not a lot of investment in security. Now it's just changing. There's you know, the budgets for security are constantly growing. Uh, the advice I would say to them is there is a lot of focus at the whales because everybody wants to go after the big enterprise. You know, they want to score, hey, let me get Salesforce, let me get an Oracle deal, all of that. Um, but depending on what your product is, and yes, it is harder if you go to SMBs and smaller, um, 
you know, the whole IoT world out there needs a lot of security. So there's a whole venue, and and people are getting more educated about that. Um, there's uh, there's a whole venue out there in terms of the creation of certain products that can actually help educate you as a user to not get caught by phishing attacks, by ransomware type things in terms of what you can do and learn. Uh, so I do think there's opportunities of expansion in that area. Great to hear. Now I know you mentioned uh, a blog earlier. Where can people find you on some of the things you've opined about? Opined, sure. Um, our, um, our website is uh, cavern.com, C-A-V-I-R-I-N.com. And Interestingly, I mean, we have blogs that deal more with, I want to say, the social aspects, you know, the industry security, but we also have some very good, you know, technical writers that are developing some of the uh, CIS benchmarks, for example, for Docker, for Android, you know, endpoint protection, which is a, a whole other world, things we're doing with uh, Google Cloud Platform or, or Microsoft Azure as part of the whole shared responsibility model that really bites a lot of enterprises where they don't want to be bitten. So just, you know, find us. And for me, uh, our website is uh, ixia.com.com. It's not ixia.com, it's ixia.com.com. And, uh, and uh, you know, I blog on there regularly, but we also have our application and threat intelligence uh, team that blogs there regularly. And a big part of what my company does is we actually are the guys who security manufacturers use to test their stuff. So uh, our ATI team uh, is creating what we call are the strikes, the malware that they launch at, say, firewalls, IDSs, to make sure they actually perform. And so, um, you know, we're always up to date on what are the latest threats. We're actually coding some to test out. Writing um, our own we're advice. writing our own very, well, it's part of our business. Yeah. So, but, but we're the good guys. We're the white, you know, we're really trying to help fortify the uh, firewall manufacturers, et cetera, to make sure that their products are configured properly, that they're up to date, that, uh, that they're really doing the protection job that they're intended to do. Well, great. I'll put all that in the show notes, and I uh, greatly appreciate the time. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.